So this is an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. And, um, you know, this show will be the first one that kicks over uh, eventually and will be streaming to Children's Health Defense. Um, but right now we're still working out, you know, a little bit of the bugs, getting, getting the new opening streaming to this show. Um, but we're really grateful that we'll have a wider audience and more people learning what they, you know, we're, we're attempting to provide information that you might not hear elsewhere so you can make informed decisions for yourself. You know, I, if COVID has taught us anything, it's how important it is for each of us to be really careful about what we listen to and, um, and just really attempt to make informed decisions. And it's really difficult to do um, now because you don't know what information to trust and you know what's coming from where. I wanna say, hey, Javier, I see Javier is in the house. Hello, Bernadette. Hi, welcome. So meet, um, well, let me introduce uh, him. I'm gonna let you kind of introduce yourself, really, Kirby. I am bringing on today a wonderful man. His name is Kirby Wilbur. And I've been listening to his show for a couple of years now, whenever I can tune in. Um, he had a show on KBI in Seattle on conservative talk radio. And when I was in my car flipping through the dial, um, there were several times uh, he had a guest on where I pulled over and dialed in. And a couple of times I got through. <laughs> and it's it's really awesome now. So just say hi. Uh, welcome to the show, Kirby. Thank you, Bernadette. Thanks for having me. Javier, thank you as well. Yeah, it's, it's, really, um, it's really kind of an honor because you're you were sort of an institution in Seattle and, and now you have vacated. You're, are you semi-retired from radio? I hear you once in a while subbing for somebody else. I fill in on KVI from time to time, but I'm essentially retired. I'm, I'm the bench, if you will, if somebody gets sick or on vacation, I've, I, I'll fill in, but it's not really my focus at the moment, so. Okay. So would you mind um, you know, telling listeners and viewers a little bit about how you got into radio? Sure. Um, I've been involved in politics since high school. Um, I was state young Republican chairman when I was young. I worked on the Reagan campaign in 1980s where I met my wife. I've been to seven, I think, Republican national conventions. And in the early 90s, when talk radio came to be and became really uh, a hot issue, uh, I was a real estate appraiser. I had my own company. I was on the car all day. And so I would listen to talk radio because I was interested in politics. I started calling in, like you did, Bernadette, um, because I had opinions on things. And uh, I got to be a regular caller on KBI and the hosts liked me. And so I was approached by the program director, Brian Jennings at KBI in early 93 about being a substitute host, uh, filling in when guys were sick or when they were on vacation. And so I said, sure, let's try it. And I tried it and they liked it so much that they offered me a job doing the nine to midnight shift on KVI. And that, of course, if anyone knows anything about radio, that's kind of, that's the weird part of the night when, you know, nine to midnight, nobody's really listening. But I enjoyed it. I, I thought I'd try it for a while. And I did it for a year and a half and then decided I really couldn't do it anymore and have a real job during the day because it was just killing me mm -hmm. being up till midnight on talk radio and that kind of thing. So I went to them and said, let's do morning radio. And they said, morning talk wouldn't work. And I said, well, it will work. And they gave me a shot and I it was successful. So I quit the appraisal business and being a full-time host. Um, and that's, I, I started as a caller, kind of like you. Cool. 
Yeah, and you know, now that radio station has an amazing lineup of really strong um, talk show hosts that, mm -hmm. you know, people listen to. And, you know, in Washington State, wow, it's like a, <laughs> a, a little island of free speech going on there. Um, yeah. We're in the belly of the beast. No doubt we're in the belly of the beast. Definitely. Um, yeah. Although now you physically are in the land of the free because you've moved yeah. to Texas. <laughs> yes, ma'am. The great, great free state of Texas. Yep. Yeah. And I, I fled to Tennessee. Yep. But I, I, I still plan, while I plan to learn everything about politics in Tennessee and to support good legislation and oppose bad legislation, although I really can't talk legislation on this show because this is funded by a nonprofit. Exactly. I won't get specific, right? <laughs> um, we're all about providing information so people can make those informed votes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I'm still going to fight for Washington, right? I'm still working actively with Informed Choice Washington. I've got friends and family, loved ones there. Um, you know, we just ca cannot let this capture of freedom on all fronts um, stick, you know? Yep. Uh, so, you know, part of what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about here um, are some of the things, because you've got this great history, that you have seen. So let's talk a little bit about freedom of speech. When you mm -hmm. first got into radio, you know, what were things like? Was freedom of speech an issue that you were aware of? Not as much as it is today. We didn't, the cancel culture wasn't very strong. There were still people that opposed conservative talk radio. There was talk going back to the fairness doctrine. The fairness doctrine ruled communication law in the country until the late 80s when Ronald Reagan repealed it. The fairness rule said that a, a public broadcast entity like TV or radio had to present both sides and in roughly equal amounts of time. So if you had a Republican on for five minutes, you had to offer a Democrat five minutes. And the idea was to provide balance. But Reagan thought liberty and freedom was a better idea. So he got rid of the fairness law, fairness doctrine, and talk radio exploded. And talk radio exploded because our viewpoints weren't being heard on ABC or CBS. This was before Fox became big, before cable news really became big. And talk radio became where conservatives could share ideas and could talk about our ideas because it wasn't going to be in Time Magazine, it wasn't going to be in the Sale Times. And that helped talk radio explode. And as talk radio exploded, it's starting to have an impact, especially in 1994 in the elections when the Republicans took the House for the first time in 40 years, they started talking about reimposing the fairness doctrine to shut us up. And that didn't work. Uh, it just, even when the Democrats had control, they weren't able to impose it on us. And so I think what you saw was the rise of cancel culture, which I think started probably 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, because the left doesn't like to hear opposing opinions. The left doesn't like to be opposed. The left doesn't like to have different ideas floating around. So they came up with cancel culture, which consists of uh, hounding people, uh, having them lose their job, putting pressure on people, uh, losing professional affiliations and losing connections, everything they can do, calling you a racist. You know, they call you a racist. If you and I are discussing about race relations, you call me a racist. The focus now is I have to defend myself, not my ideas, but me, because all of a sudden he's being a racist. The left is very good at that. And so what we saw over time was this rise of this cancer culture, which today, Dave Chappelle can't tell jokes about certain topics and they threaten you know, to cut him out. 
Uh, you have people losing jobs. It's gotten much worse. Free speech is in danger in America today. Amen. Yeah, it's it's really frightening. But you know what's really good is as I was driving across the country from Washington to Tennessee, almost the entire width of this, the country, I was tuning my radio in from, you know, going in one radio range to the other. And mm -hmm. I kept finding amazing talk show hosts that mm -hmm. were talking just like you and I are. And it was just wonderful that, you know, the heart of America really is alive and well and, and talking and pushing mm -hmm. back. I think Absolutely. sometimes if people live in those little isolated bubbles, like you can find in states like Washington and Oregon and California and New York, mm -hmm. you feel like you're all alone in your thoughts. Right. You're just surrounded by people just, yep. you know, it's like a, it's a religion. It is. And it's one on. thing I think what talk radio did, it provided a communication network so other people could say, hey, other people think like I do. Yeah. And I think the growth in talk radio became people who were tired of hearing the leftist propaganda on the mainstream media and realized I'm not alone. Yeah. There are Bernadettes and Kirby's and Xavier's and others in the audience in the country that share my beliefs. And so you went there for information. You went there for reinforcement. You went there to get the side you didn't get on the network news. Mm -hmm. And I think that really spurred the growth of, of talk radio. A lot of uh, intelligent hosts, a lot of uh, hosts that are really good at what they do. And people went there because that was their resource. That was their refuge from the constant barrage of leftist propaganda we get through the mainstream media. Yeah. And, you know, while I love that there is this abundance of places you can go and hear the other side, we have been so now divided that the civil debate, the civil discussion rarely happens. Uh -huh. Where I do see it happening is on places like the show you had, because you would allow, and I, and John Carlson and others, they allow dissenting opinion. You can Absolutely. come on the show and give dissenting opinion. Now, there are times when I've tried to call into National Public Radio, to KUOW, they won't even put me on. Right. And once in a while, I did get in a really good comment the other day, and I, their guests did not like that. I think they felt like it was a sneak attack, but I was so pleased that everybody got to hear. In fact, it was a subject I had called you about. You were guest hosting somebody's show, and it's when they were saying that you could co-administer the COVID shots with other shots in the mm -hmm, absence right. with two children in the absence of any safety study, zero safety studies. They just said, we think it's okay. So go ahead and do it. Right. And I was able to get that comment on, but most of the time they will not hear dissenting opinion. They That's won't put you on, they won't. but I've always admired um, KVI talk show hosts because they do try to give voice to somebody who dissents and, you know, they might not agree, but civil discussion must happen. I agree. My mother raised me to be respectful. And the way I looked at it, my audience was a family. I thought of us as family. I thought of it as my home. I've invited you into my home to share your opinion. That's why we have talk radio. It's not about me. It's about you and the listeners and sharing ideas. And so I respected people with different opinions as long as they were civil. We had a couple that weren't. And I, I will admit we had a couple we would cut off and not talk to. But if you were civil, and wanted to make your point and have a discussion and try and learn something, I really encourage that. And I think most talk radio hosts do that uh, because it's important. I, I'm not afraid of any opposing ideas. I have confidence in what I believe in. And if you can convince me through reason and fact that I'm wrong, I'll accept that. And I think we miss that today with all the name calling and the shaming and the hesitation 
We don't have that much anymore in America. And it's sad because that's how we determine truth is through discussion, open discussion with facts and logic and reason and trying to convince each other that you're not evil, you're wrong. And the left all too often looks at people like you and I as evil when maybe we're wrong and I'm willing to listen to that, but they condemn you as evil. And that's the difference, I think, how the left looks at the opposition. I don't think most leftists are evil. I just think they're wrong. It's like Ronald Reagan once said, liberals aren't ignorant. It's just they know so much that it isn't so. Well, and from so what different attitudes. Yeah. And but from what I've seen though, that if you go back to what was considered, I would be considered a liberal under maybe 1970s definition of liberal, yep. but not yep. 2020, 2021 right. definition. Right. You know, that has gone so so very different but this <clears throat> this need for civil discussion and civil debate you know in informed choice washington who sponsors this in children's health defense we very much are for um, vaccine safety reform and for open civil discussion let's look at the science let's get better science and this is pre-covid is what we've been working mm -hmm. for trying to maintain medical freedom and informed consent and try to get some reform because you know even before COVID, what we had was, and the way it works with the vaccine industry is those who stand to profit, they've been shielded from liability by Congress. They do their own studies, clinical trials. They decide what data to bring to the FDA. The mm -hmm. FDA reviews that data to make their decision. And then after that point, if anybody sues them over their product, the government um, is the one that you have to fight in court and the government mandates the product and the government um, promotes the product and the government distributes and purchases the product. I mean, I tell mm -hmm. you, I, I wish I could come up with a safe and effective vaccine because that's the ticket. It's the golden goose. But we have been trying for years to have civil discussion and there have been several very high level events planned with top doctors like on our side and the scientists and people like robert f kennedy jr who runs children's health defense set up these events and they've gotten some doctors to agree to do this discussion and at the last minute every single one is always pulled out mm -hmm. and some of them have said we were told like by their medical association or somebody don't do it. Do not engage. Mm -hmm. They will not, they will only do the ad hominem attacks. They won't do the civil discussion of science against science. And let's, let's bring it down to product level. Um, so, you know, I hate that anybody's been harmed by COVID. I hate that anybody's been harmed by the response to COVID, which I think is overwhelmingly larger, in my opinion, when you look around. Um, but the beauty of COVID is it has got a giant spotlight now on the corporate capture of our regulatory agencies, the public health agencies, and mainstream media. Kirby, have you seen that video collection of all the openings of, you know, legacy media? We've got CBS News, ABC News, you know, the Today Show, all that. And it'll, it'll give the intro that it says, brought to you by Pfizer. Mm -hmm. And, right. you know, right, it's just the whole compilation of all of them brought to you by Pfizer. And it's just, it's really alarming, you know. See, at that point, I think you have to question the credibility. Now, that doesn't mean that they are tarnished. It doesn't mean that they aren't credible. But let's have the discussion. 
Yeah. And what I find interesting is that Facebook and some of the other um, ways of communication today are automatically labeling people yeah. on the basis of the fact that they may oppose the consensus of, you know, vaccines are good. Well, you know, I've been vaccinated, but I don't believe in forcing anyone to be vaccinated. I know there are people that medically can't be vaccinated because it's harmful. I know there are people who have religious objections. And what we're seeing here, Bernadette, is this tidal wave of we're not going to allow any exemptions. Either get it or you lose your job. Not fair. I talked to the mother of a nursing student uh, this week um, who's thinking about moving to Texas now because we're a little bit different down here on this issue. But she's four weeks from graduation. Lake Washington Folk Tech Nursing Program. She's interning at Evergreen. She can't medically take the vaccine. It would be harmful. It could kill her. And yet they've told her she has to be vaccinated in the program. She's $40,000 in student debt to go through this program. She's four weeks from being a nurse. And they have told her, vaxxed or you're out. That is unjust, immoral, unfair. And yet they're doing it in the name of public protection because we all have to be vaxxed. They're not willing to have a discussion that, would it be harmful to this young woman? What if she died? Why is it really fair? And then for them to say, we'll allow exemptions and then refuse to make accommodations. What, what's with that? Where's the justice in this? And you may be right, the vaccinations are the answer. However, we know medically this young woman can't take the vaccine. She's willing to be tested. She's willing to take whatever safety measures you want. She's willing to do whatever she needs. She just can't take the vaccination. This has become, a, 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 this has become like a hammer. The government's using to hammer people to conform. It isn't right. Right. It absolutely is not right. And it shouldn't be right, even if that vaccine product is 100% safe and effective, because yep. medical freedom of choice is sacred. I mean, it has to be sacred. To You, you cannot be forced to have something injected in your body if you don't want to. But this yeah. particular product, the CDC, FDA, everybody says it does not prevent you from becoming infected or transmitting to others. And in some circumstances, the viral load of the vaccinated person is higher than the non-vaccinated person, only their symptoms have been reduced. So they're out there spreading it and they don't know it. Yeah. You know, these are for at best limited personal protection only. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the dangers of the vaccine with you, Kerr, because I think we kind of, we're a little bit apart on the danger. So I want to stick with you today on our common ground, which is strong. Um, but the very fact that it cannot prevent infection and transmission should be enough that you cannot mandate that. It has to be a personal decision. Right. It makes no sense. How many no people sense. do we know who have become ill after vaccination? Our Congresswoman Kathy Morris Rogers. Yeah. Is vaccinated, she can end with COVID. Now, it might be mild forms of COVID. It might be nothing worse than a serious cold. It might be something they can survive. But the point is, we were told vaccinations would protect us. Vaccinations partially protect us. And we weren't told that vaccinations can be fatal or mortal to some people. It's just mandated to everybody. The public health establishment, I think, has destroyed their credibility. Yeah. If we have a serious pandemic next week, where we seriously have to listen to these people, we won't because masks, no masks, vaccination, no vaccination. Uh, yeah, we need uh, 15 days to you know to level everything out. Now it's going to be three months. No Christmas. No, they have changed. Oh, you you can't be in a crowd unless it's in a public protest for racial justice. They have contradicted themselves so much, yeah. and 
and, and follow their own narrative. My, my concern, my real serious concern above and beyond individual harm would be the public health establishment has no credibility and we may need them. There may be a pandemic that comes or an illness or a virus that comes where we really need them and need to listen to them, but I wouldn't believe them anymore because they're yeah. going to change their mind next week. They're going to do the narrative. They're going to say, I can't go to a crowd unless it's at a riot or a protest. No, that, that's the real harm I think that will come to us in the future. We cannot trust authority anymore. No, we can't. Um, and the, the, the problem is, oh, there's so many problems. Yeah. Our public health structure in the United States runs like a military with the CDC at the top. And if the CDC says, do this, then everybody down the, down the road just says, C, points out, no, we have to do it. CDC said so. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, nobody within the whole public health system can say, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. Because it's like setting yourself up to be court-martialed. Mm -hmm. You cannot go against that established, you know, what, what they say is you can't fight mm -hmm. against that. It's, it's, I've been fighting this for years, trying, trying to wake up our Washington State Board of Health saying, look at here's the data. And they'll kind of nod, but then they go on their merry way and they do exactly what the CDC says. I don't it's know. It's interesting you, you mentioned the military, if I may interrupt for a minute. Yeah. Our defense establishment, when they're trying to determine our defense policy, they have what they call a red team or an A and B team. And they mm -hmm. have a team of experts set up to contradict and conflict and try and contest the assumption that is we need missiles. Well. How can that be overcome? How can that be undermined? Do we really need them? They have contrarians and they go through the exercises. They actually have professionals and experts say, that's not right because the defense of our country, the physical defense of our country is based on this. And they want contrary opinions to come in and test the thesis and test the policy. We should, public health is just as important as our national yes. defense. We should have a red team of credible experts. And there are a lot of credible experts out there. That, you know, was it the Barrington uh, doctor? Declaration. Yes. 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 And said, we need layered defense. This isn't yeah. working. We don't need to lock down society. What harm do yeah. we cause by locking down society? How many kids are years behind their education now? How many kids have been mentally harmed? How many workers uh, lost their jobs? How many business people lost everything they had because they didn't listen to the other side? And, you know, the Barrington doc, they didn't really get into vaccine efficiency, they got down to the lockdown. This is the wrong way to deal with this. We've never had a lockdown. Yeah. And look at the harm it did, but nobody ever talks about the suicide, the drugs, the lost businesses, the ruined fortunes, ruined families, kids mm -hmm. who are far back in school may never recover. No one talks about the collateral damage. And if we had a system, we had contrarian opinions that were credible and you listened to and considered, maybe that wouldn't have happened. No. I love that. I absolutely love it. Let's make it happen. However, it we know what's driving this, though, it's not safety of the country. If it was, right. the, the, the doctors from the Great Barrington Declaration would be listened to. Mm -hmm. But that's not what this is about. It can't be because the product can't do what they say all these policies are, are trying to achieve. And they are ignoring the many, many studies on how strong natural immunity is. 
you know, everybody who's had COVID would should be set free because they're the ones stopping transmission. Mm -hmm. right. You know, they don't get reinfected. It's very strong and it's working against the variants. And let's face it, I don't know where you are, Kirby, on, on ivermectin and the FLCCC protocols and Dr. Pierre Corey, but I tell you, ivermectin works. There's a lot of protocols, you know, even with the suppression of the effective treatment protocols, COVID is 99.74% on average recoverable from, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's the percentage of recovery. So, um, you know, and you, if they were to add in the early treatments, it, but they're suppressing all that. So See, I believe in liberty, which means I believe the individual has the choice of the treatment they pick. Yep. Yeah. And if you have an individual with the assistance of the doctor or guidance of the web or whatever the case might be, this is the course they take. I think they have the right to do that. And mm -hmm. we'll find out over time if it's effective. Right. If you're willing to risk yourself with an untried drug or a question drug and it's successful, then that's a step toward solving this issue. If you're not successful, you may pay a price, but it's proven it's not there. And mm -hmm. I, I just think that you have the right to do it. I have a very good friend of mine who used alternative treatment for COVID. He has a heart condition. Mm -hmm. And he uh, was in Swedish Issaquah. And he was part of a small group doctors picked for an alternative treatment. And in two weeks, he was fully recovered. And wow. he, has, he has comorbidity, he has heart issues, and they were afraid that they were going to lose him because he's right. already come for years. I talked to him and I said, you want to come on and be on my show? He said, no, I don't, want, I don't want to get involved in this because it's controversial and blah, blah. And I understood all that. But um, obviously not every doctor who suggests an alternative treatment is a crank. Obviously, not every doctor who says we have to stick with the protocol is an expert. And right. so what is wrong with allowing an adult to choose their treatment? And if they make a mistake, they pay the price for it. They're aware of that. Yeah. But if they, if they are successful, then we've expanded the treatment options we have for people. And we're one step closer to being rid of it. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. So when are you, yeah, when are you running for office, Kirby? Although no, I thanks. No, text. I'm running away from office. Um, <laughs> I did it once for a death 30 years ago, and I think yeah. every American should run once, at least for the experience. But no, <laughs> I'm I'm very happy selling real estate to people clean Seattle yeah. and being involved in local politics. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and for full disclosure to our listening audience here, when my husband and I decided to move, we did go through the wonderful organization that you've got, conservativemove.com. And, and helped us find realtors to sell and to buy where we wanted to relocate. The service cost us nothing. And it was so helpful. I was really, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to make a sales pitch here, but really. Right, it was no. a, it was but we should mention for, for full disclosure purposes that that's true, that we had that, as well as being a caller on my show, we had the connection. You used the firm that I currently work with, although you didn't yeah. work with me because I deal with Texas, but you worked with other folks in Tennessee. Yeah. So we should make that clear. It doesn't mean that she's biased toward me or against me or no. I'm biased toward her, just we had that connection. No, exactly. it was just so cool though, because my phone rang, I, I don't know, a week or so ago. I wasn't even moved into this house yet. And, and it said Kirby Wilbur. And I'm like, wow, Kirby's calling me. That's cool. Yeah. I've only dialed into his show before. And after we talked about, you know, the real estate stuff, I, I said, hey, I've got a radio show. You want to come on? And he said, yes. Absolutely. So, you bet. Uh, 
I was really grateful for, for that. Um, I'm doing all the talking here, Javier. Feel free to jump in if, if you got a question. <laughs> well, absolutely. So I just wanted to gauge or at least get an idea of what it's um, uh, what the temperature is like in, in Texas regarding uh, medical freedoms. Uh, I've heard that depending on where you live, like, for example, Austin, you get one perspective and everywhere else mm-hmm. you get another perspective. Um, and I don't know, uh, I don't know, I don't know how, uh, how well, you know, Dr. Peter McCullough or the work that he's done over at Baylor. I the name. I okay. Know him well. But I, well, here's where we were in Texas. Um, the governor signed a bill, uh, banning, uh, vaccine mandates. And as I understand the bill, banned vaccine, vaccine mandates that didn't allow the option of frequent testing or, um, uh, having been a COVID victim and improving the antibodies. The uh, alternatives, so accommodations, exemptions. So no public entity can do that. There's some question about whether some of the private entities can do that. We may have federal contracts, but that will go to court at some point. Governor also banned mask mandates by public entities. We have, at last count, I understand, 85 school districts in the state of Texas that have imposed mask mandates against the governor's order. And as I understand, the attorney general is taking them to court. Wow. Because they're oh, violating nice. the governor's executive order, which banned. And there are our local school district, McKinney, for instance, backed down on the mask mandate after public reaction. You're not going to mask our kids. And the governor issued his order. They actually decided not to impose a mask mandate on our kids. Uh, so the mandates, there are private institutions that have mandates. Some of the hospitals have imposed mandates. Uh, the state health board has imposed a mask mandate on people. Go, I was at the doctor today. <clears throat> Had to wear a mask because the airport said you're in a hospital. I don't have too much of a problem with that. Some stores require masks, and you have the choice of going in and not going in if you don't want to. But the vaccine hasn't come yet to a head, Javier. It will. Uh, but right now, the governor banned it unless you offer the options, mm-hmm. and it will probably wind up in court. But most businesses seem to be obeying that right now. And let's remember, President Biden doesn't really have a vaccine mandate. Right. He talked about it, but there's no policy yet. So all these companies are falling in line in preparation. So mm-hmm. we don't, the, you know, President OSHA, they have not issued a mandate yet. And I'm sure it'll go to court as soon as it is. There's specific. So, but right now, we're relatively free when it comes to medical freedom. And how much of a distinction or how much of the debate that's going on in, in Texas uh, ever mentions the fact that, you know, this is still under an emergency use authorization, uh, both the masks, the PCR tests, and the vaccines that are currently being rolled out? Is that ever discussed? To be honest, I've not heard that referred to. Uh, but a lot of what we get is just on the service stuff. The governor signs an executive order. And then uh, I know there have been some protests. Baylor Scott White here, one of the big medical facilities. They've had several uh, protests by medical personnel uh, for medical freedom because freedom, they're talking about a mandate. Right. Uh, but I haven't heard, I've not heard that detail discussed. Interesting. Okay. Now this is a, and just, uh, uh, just as an important aside, uh, the EUA under 21 Code of Federal Regulations 360 BBB3A13C uh, uh, yeah. does, al- <laughs> does allow for the, <laughs> does allow for the person to decline the use of any and all EUA medical devices, products, or therapies uh, uh, as part of the EUA uh, designation. So it's something that uh, uh, people do need to be aware of. There are legal rights. You do have medical freedom. 
but only if you choose to use that right. That's a great point, by the way. Anything the government does is constitutional until it's challenged in court and found not to be constitutional. You can't just say this is unconstitutional, I'm not going to do it. You have to go through the court system or you appeal to a specific law. You can't just say it's unconstitutional, it's not going to do it. You unfortunately have the burden of having to go to court to prove it. Um, yeah, but if you know what your rights are, know what your freedoms are, and have a good lawyer, you can go to court and do that. But you can't just say no and expect it to be accepted. You actually have to challenge these things. That's exactly it. Yeah, yes. yeah and, and then you got to hope that, you know, the uh, you're in a good, um, I'm not finding the language this afternoon, I apologize. That, uh, you're in a good courtroom with a good judge yeah, who understands there the we Constitution. Go. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah, because yeah. if they don't, you know, everybody talks about the, the Jacob 1905 um, J famous Jacobson decision, decision mm -hmm. saying that that decision means you can mandate vaccines. It absolutely does not state that in the way that everybody thinks it does. Right. First right. of all, the situation where they ruled that this gentleman and his son would have to pay a penalty of $5, which equates to about $100 today for not getting a vaccine, it was only in the situation of an outbreak of a severe disease in a, like in a limited setting, you know, with smallpox, which is, is not COVID and right. related. And if they didn't want to do it, they would um, just pay the penalty. And, and the guy who filed that lawsuit, him and his son, they had both had several doses of smallpox vaccines in England. And they had almost died from those shots and they didn't want to do it again. And mm -hmm. so uh, the Jacobson decision was acknowledging too that medical exemptions should exist. And, you know, that there should be, there had to be really a strong reason for, for attempting to mandate these in a very limited situation when outbreak is really imminent. But the other thing that really disturbed me when I read deeply about this decision is even then in 1905, the Supreme Court said, well, we can't rule on the science. We're just going to follow the consensus. Whatever the, and, and even in 1905, consensus medicine was very allopathic, pro-product driven, pro-control, you know, public health agencies wanted to be able to tell everybody what to do so they would feel in control or whatever. There's probably a lot of reasons, but the, the, that court even said, this vaccine might not work because, you know, people had to get four or five, six doses. It didn't last. And it might be dangerous to some people. However, we, all we can do is follow the consensus because they weren't scientists. That has got to, we've got to figure out how to get a court case where the science must be front and center. You know, it, it's, it's that differing opinion, you know, right now, the only one that gets in there is the one that's making all the money. But the the differing opinion that the, it's not safe and effective in a certain circumstance or all circumstances or whatever, that is not getting its day in court. Um, I would suggest what you need, Bernadette, is you need a law that covers that so the court can rule on the legal matter as opposed to asking the court to be scientists. Right. Exactly. Truth. You need our legislators where the real power is and where it should be, yeah. legislators to pass a law where yeah. the science is up front or matters. And then the court doesn't have to be the expert. They can just decide on the law. So yeah. we need legislators who can understand the science will write a law that will allow 
the exemptions and the differences and the science to be considered. Now, I'm, I am going to bring up something. We're going to have a civil discussion about it here. But <laughs> I, I think that public health agencies like the CDC and the FDA and the Washington State Department of Health, which I know very well, I attend all the Board of Health meetings, the Vaccine Advisory Committee meetings and have for several years. I feel they have proved themselves absolutely untrustworthy for being um, in charge of telling the public what to do concerning vaccines. I would agree. Fantastic. I would, and, I would agree because number one in Washington, remember all the gunshot victims we counted as victims of COVID? Yeah. yeah. They were caught red-handed lying. They were caught with other deaths. Um, the governor of Colorado had to go back and adjust his numbers. Yep. And the mere fact that they would lie about that, and they knew it was wrong, liars mm. stretch the truth, that alone disqualifies them in my book uh, from being credible and believable on anything like this. Yeah. Because they're pushing an agenda and a narrative, they're not yeah. pushing uh, public health. There you go. Uh, it's their version of it. So, yeah. Kirk, Kirby, have you ever heard of AIM, the Association of Immunization Managers? No, I've not. Okay, this is an association started in 1999. And the head of every single immunization department, state immunization department in every state and territory in the United States belongs to this and several members of their public health departments. It's a collaboration with the pharmaceutical industry. You can go to their sponsor page and their gold level sponsors are Merck and Pfizer and GlaxoSmithKline and now Moderna is added and of course Johnson & Johnson is there, all of them. And they have this memo of understanding that allows for shared policy between them. They get meetings, they have annual conferences and the pharmaceutical industry sponsors the education happening at this conference. And the chair of AIM is our own Michelle Roberts, who's the undersecretary of health now in Washington state. And they have had this collaboration for years. I tried to challenge on them. It's conflict of interest. This is complete conflict of interest mm -hmm. to be so closely partnered with the drug industry, the pharmaceutical industry, you know. Um, but then Secretary of Health Wiesman, we got a meeting with them. He said, no, I don't see any problem with it. I, I fully support this, right? And I'm, one other thing I want to point out is in Washington state, there's the Department of Health that has a vaccine advisory committee. It's 20 to 25 people. And some of them are health officers, some are um, MDs. One of the people on that committee is from the association, the, the pharmacy association, pharmacy. So all they do is profit from the sale of vaccines and other drugs. At the opening of these meetings, when they do the conflict of interest statement to see if anybody has any financial conflicts with policy regarding vaccine, even the pharmacist does not raise her hand. I have challenged them so many times over the years, just, are you kidding me, people? You can stay on the committee, just admit it. You got a conflict here, you know? Um, anyway, uh, so much needs to be changed. What I, what I would love to see is for vaccine Everything about vaccines to be removed from, from the government, from, from the public, and go back to being simply a medical product that you can choose to protect yourself or family or not, based on your research of the safety of the product and in consultation with your trusted medical advisor, right? 
I don't think, I, I think they've proven that mandates don't work. And I did one of the times I called into your show, Kirby, I was challenging your Dr. B um, about the pertussis vaccine because the pertussis vaccine, just like COVID, does not prevent infection or transmission. And newborns are catching it from their fully vaccinated siblings um, because it might suppress symptoms, but you fully colonize and spread and you don't know it. Um, we, you know, we challenged the Board of Health to remove that from requirement for school and make it again a personal decision for, because it should be for parents to make the decision and, and not that it has to be required at school. Um, anyway, uh, they said no. We took it all the way to the governor's office and I won't bore you with all the details of, yeah, Inslee just upheld the Board of Health. So. Okay. <laughs> um, I know but, Jay Inslee, no need. Yeah, no, no need to explain here. So, you know, we, I, I would say, let me say this one thing. I, yeah. I understand all the points and I do believe there's great possibility of financial conflict. I would not assume financial conflict. However, any system that has a close relationship should have some type of safety valve or verification system or something in place to make sure it's not because it's there. It doesn't necessarily, we can't necessarily assume it impacts their decision, but we need transparency and we need some type of regulation or we need some oversight board that will make sure that it isn't there. And the yeah. fact that that's not there, the fact we don't have that leads all of us to believe that it's going on. And it may not be, but we, we, the public deserves to have that oversight transparency to make sure that corporate profits are not what's motivating the acceptance and approval of certain drugs, yeah. that the profit making is not what's there. It is truly people concerned about public health who think this is the best way. And we need oversight. We need input. We need a team, a, a red team. We need the opposing view yes. to be heard so that decision can be made. So I think we had those things in place. Yeah. Then we would have assurance that it was the public health that was the motivating factor, not private gain. Yeah. And, one of the, and to your point, uh, Kirby, the, the fact that, you know, uh, the FAA was instituted to set standards in aviation and also to set standards not only in aviation, but in the management of flight paths for both commercial and uh, private flight, their record of having to engage with industry and with consumers and ensure a product that has one of the highest safety records shows that you can create a system that is transparent, yeah. Yeah. that works, that has feedback systems, that has experts as well as non-experts yeah. contributing to it. And our vaccine uh, and medical sectors are the opposite. They're untransparent, yeah. secret. We don't even know how much it actually costs to go into a hospital. Yeah. We don't. Well, we do know though from general historical study that industries tend to be captured by the regulators and regular schedule by industry, because what happens, the public sees a need for government regulation to protect us. There's this big outburst. The government appoints an agency or appoints a bureau to deal with that. And the public goes away thinking job's done and industry's still there. And the bureaucrats are still there. And this osmosis occurs between corporate interests and public agency, public policy. And they end up being the ones that dictate things. And I'm a big believer in capitalism. I'm not necessarily a big believer in big business. And big business will use that just as the auto industry used tariffs to keep out Japanese cars, keep their profits up. 
these agencies will be used by corporate interests if they can influence them, influence, quotation mark, uh, to benefit themselves. It's human nature. It's not necessarily evil. It's probably, Xavier, what you and I and Bernadette would do if we're in the same situation. It's human nature. And that's why exactly. you need these safeguards. That's why you need these things set up. And we don't seem to have them. No, exactly. And, you know, as much as I, I, I see what you're saying there, Javier, with the um, looking at what can be done well, the FAA, one of the huge differences, and there, there's many differences, one of the big, big ones is when an airliner goes down, it's so visible to everyone. It gets captured. It gets talked about. There's no denial. Airplane down, people dead, right? When a child or an adult is injured by a vaccine, it happens in private, in a very private setting, mm -hmm. in an office or at home, where usually the person calls in and the doctor says, oh gosh, I don't know. I don't think it has anything to do with the vaccine. Nobody sees it. It's invisible. It's invisible here, three blocks over. It's invisible there, four blocks over. You might have just as many people in one day killed by you know, a vac multiple vaccine products, but they weren't all in one location falling from the sky. So it, it's easy to hide. It's easy to pretend it didn't happen and, and to not have it be visible. Um, you know, and, and that's why, you know, trying to make it more visible is so important so that people can make more informed decisions and we can reform the safety. And so, just to your point, before yeah. we move on, the fourth leading cause of death in the United States now is uh, medical error. Yeah. So yeah. transparency is important across all levels, because again, if you can actually tell the hospital system or your doctor, this was an error, you caused it, or this product caused it, you would get so much better at what you do. And again, transparency is key and information is key. Yeah. Yeah, I really agree. And, you know, we're, we're getting down to the last few minutes of this hour. I can't believe how fast it went. So you know, um, Kirby, massive subject, COVID, Fauci, <laughs> yeah. um, I, anything you want to talk about, what's going on like now? What, what are your thoughts about Biden? Do you, do you think, um, okay, so Bernadette does sort of uncensored talk. So I think he's got, he's senile. I don't know quite what to say about our president, but he is not all there. And it's very concerning that it's being pretended he's running the country, mandating COVID, firing policemen and firemen and mm -hmm. nurses. Um, We're gonna pay a price, Bernadette. We're gonna know six months from now, a year from now, the price of this because we won't feel it immediately. There'll be a price in Washington paid for 124 state troopers not being on the road. Yeah. There's gonna be a price being paid for some of those Department of Transportation workers that clear the winter passes uh, of snow not being there. Um, 10% of the Seattle Police Department not being there on top of the others already left. We're going to pay a price six, eight, 10 months down the road. It'll be interesting to see the excuse they come up with as to why this is happening. They, they'll, they'll avoid the idea that we lost them because we had this mandate. But think about this, the election's a year away. We're going to feel the impact of this six, eight months, nine months down the road. It's going to be another issue that they're going to have to deal with on top of you know, everything from Afghanistan to the economy. The economy is 2% growth reported yesterday, disastrous. Um, 
workers disappearing. Where are all the workers? Nobody can find workers. The supply chain issues, COVID, it's all going to come together. And I see the possibility, not probability, because you can't really talk about probabilities in politics, the possibilities of a major earthquake politically a year from now. And this is going to compound it because we're going to be hurt by this. You're going to have people losing their jobs. You're going to, have, I think you're going to have people suicide and drugs. You're going to have people feel useless because they've been told they're useless. You're going to have not enough police to answer the calls, not enough transportation. Look at the ferry system in Washington. They've had to cut their schedule. The bus routes for Seattle Public Schools have been cut 40%, as I understand, because they don't have drivers. They don't have drivers because some quit because of the VAX mandate. Someone's going to sit back and say, is it really worth it? Is it worth it what it offers the public in terms of protection to pay this price? And I think people ultimately are going to say no, but a lot of damage is going to be done in the interim. That's I what I see happening over the next six to eight months. I agree. It's it's very concerning. I you know sometimes I have to kind of be a little hard hearted, and kind of step back and look at the big picture and realize that we we could emerge from this a better, stronger, freer nation, having experienced you know what's been happening. We will emerge as a society, a culture that understands how easy it is to have our liberty and our safety stolen under the guise of public health. You know. Um, but it's going to get really bad before it gets good. And, and I, yeah, I, I just think we have to keep those lines of communication open. Right. So as more and more people, you know, that we normally wouldn't align with begin to realize what's happening, we can join hands and, and on this common cause of saving this great nation from where it's hurtling toward, we're going to have to save ourselves. Right. And on to, to add to that, uh, the number of, uh, people that uh, uh, affiliated with the Democratic Party here in the state of Washington that I know, uh, after they've experienced and seen everything that, they, that they've uh, gone through, they uh, have basically gone independent or switched to party affiliations. Yeah. And that, you know, things that I've never seen happening, the realignment is real and it's happening all over this country. Uh, to, and also, I mean, also within the Republican Party, that's also occurring based on some of the uh, uh, the rules that uh, and some of the political decisions that have been made uh, from the other party. So you're absolutely right, Kirby. This is going to be a gigantic earthquake in this country that is going to have ramifications for, well, a long, long time, 20, 30 years from now. And the sad thing is, uh, Xavier, I don't know that we'll ever know the cost. I don't know if we'll ever be able to add the collateral damage, the lives being impacted. That will be behind the scenes. I'm going to hope that this happens soon enough that we save some of those people because there's going to be a high, high price paid by innocent parties who are in the middle of this. And I don't know if the earthquake will happen in time to rectify and correct them and help them. But some future historian is going to write a book about the cost and people will be shocked. They yes. will be shocked at the cost. Yes. Yeah. But the one thing I do have to say is uh, uh, I always bet on the United States. I always bet on the ability of the people to do and get the job done. Yep. Uh, we, it's things have been bad before. Things are be yep. bad again, but I think enough people are are wide awake and willing to talk and listen yeah. now. I, I I think a lot of people um, who before just they were they head down and just focused on their own little world. They weren't involved in government at all. They didn't know who their elected officials were. I mean, I got to admit, until I was 50, I didn't know the names of my 
representative and yeah, I what? voted, but I what? quickly you're yeah. 50? What? No. Come on. <laughs> oh, no. I'm 58 now. Wow. Um, but but you know, it wasn't that long ago that I was not involved locally. I had never been to a school board meeting. I hadn't done any of that. Shame on me. Shame on me. I was this complacent American shrug, you know, other people take care of it. And you know, we were ripe for the picket. Let me tell you, because we were not, we don't, um, many people live in suburbs, they don't know their neighbors. Now they do, I think. I think COVID is like, we, we're learning to meet our neighbors. You know, your elected officials are now, you know the importance of going to those school board meetings, let me tell you. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, my son's 18. So in my, my new location, I, I don't have any grandkids yet, but I'm going to go down to local school board meetings and say, you know, next 10 years, I may have grandkids. And whatever you put in place here might affect my grandkids. So I'm getting involved now. <laughs> I'm starting early. And Xavier, to your point, Sam Adams once said, it does not take a majority to prevail, but a tireless minority dedicated to lighting fires of liberty in the minds of men. Amen. And so we don't have to have 51%. If we have 2% of the get off the death and go out and work, we can save this country. Absolutely. That's it. it. And it's the little guy against the big guy. They got all the money, but we got truth and we got, yeah. you know, we got hoods. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. We can do it. So, all right. Well, uh, Kirby, where can people find you these days? Um, you know, um, my email address is Kirby Wilbur at Hotmail, just my name at Hotmail.com. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I post a lot about Texas on Facebook, a lot about politics on Facebook, just Kirby Wilbur. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm in conservativemove.com. Come on down to Texas. I just had a couple out today showing them around. I've taken another couple out tomorrow. Uh, anybody wants to think about moving down here to Texas, check me out. I'd love to have you come down and show you around why Texas. And it's not just politics. It's culture and friendly. It's everything. So, yeah, I'm in Texas trying to sell homes. Uh, people fleeing uh, radical leftism. So. Yeah. All righty. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's thank a pleasure speaking with you. And, and thank you always for your honesty out there and your listening. Uh, your listening I appreciate it. Xavier, nice to meet you. We'll be cross paths. Was okay. I hope so, too. And remember, one person armed with truth constitutes the majority. That's correct. That's right. That's <laughs> I love right. it. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We're going to take a break. When we come back, our next guest is an independent journalist whose day job was with the state and she was fired for speaking truth with her independent journalism. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today.
Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. Welcome to an informed live radio at 1150 AM KKNW. And that was our new opening. It'll get a little bit smoother. I, thank you so much, Eric, for playing that, our awesome engineer at KKNW. But we're also going to be um, streaming live eventually to CHD Children's Health Defense, CHD Live. We are so thrilled to be part of their team as well and bringing information to help you live an informed life to a much bigger audience. We're very excited about that. And we're so grateful for the sponsorship of um, Children's Health Defense. They, they sponsor an hour of our radio show every week. And of course, all of the awesome members of um, Informed Choice Washington. Um, we so appreciate your regular monthly donations and the other occasional donations, they keep this information on the air. We're a nonprofit. None of us get paid to do any of this. And um, staying on the station and keeping the word going is so important. And I want to say thank you to KKNW because I tell you, since, since I came on the air, first as a, like a guest host, on um, oh, lift your spirits radio is a is a wonderful program on KKNW. Um, I encourage you to listen to that one. Um, and then when we started our show, I have gotten you know just respect and support you know for what could be considered a very controversial show. Uh, and the topics we cover. And um, we're still here. We're still speaking truth, bringing on doctors and scientists and talking about things that are banned elsewhere. So thank you very much to the owners and the station managers for, for your respect for um, freedom of speech and, and civil discussion. It's important. Um, so, hey, Javier, welcome to hour two. Thank you for having me on as well and uh, looking forward to uh, the second hour. 
Yeah, we had awesome. Kirby Wilbur was on the first a radio show host from the um, Seattle area for years and years. Many uh, know him. And now our second hour, we are bringing on a woman who used to work um, on TV as an environmental reporter and then decided to go independent to have more freedom. <laughs> And well, we're going to see how well that turned out. We adore Allison um, Morrow. I see another name. You're married me down there. Shall we call you though, Allison Morrow, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, there we go. I got to so, change that. <laughs> yeah. So welcome to an Informed Life Radio. And um, yeah, could you just tell listeners a little bit about yourself and your transition and how what you were doing in your job before we get into then what happened recently? My job in television or my job after television? Your job after television. Okay. You set up this whole new life with a new right. job and then this independent job. Right. right. Well, it, it feels like I've come full circle coming back on because Informed Choice Washington was one of my, my moments that sort of was the beginning of the end of my television news career once I crossed paths with you all. And we can talk about that later and, and censorship okay. around around that topic. Uh, but I had left television news, as you said, I, I wanted to do independent work, which I was already doing on the side, but there were contractual issues with my corporate news ownership company. And uh, this job with the Washington Department of Natural Resources opened up and it gave me the opportunity to shoot videos on wildfire, to tell the stories about the firefighters who are on the front lines of the wildfire issue out, especially in Eastern Washington and with the forest health experts that are working on the fuels issue, uh, the buildup of fuels we've seen over the last hundred years or so that has created the, 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 uh, the, the premise for these big fires that we're seeing. And uh, so when I was doing that work, that was my full-time job. Uh, I was shooting these videos, but mostly remote editing from home and I'd go out and every once in a while to the, the fire scenes or to the forest and talk to these fuels crews. And on my personal time and with my personal gear, which we that's <laughs> one of the things I was very clear with my bosses about, I was allowed to continue with my work, my independent media work. Now at the time when I was first hired, I had just come from being an environmental reporter. So a lot of my content was focused on things like personal health or we're renovating an Airstream. As COVID became more of a reality, I switched into doing media analysis because I was getting very concerned that there was too much trust given to my industry to make irrevocable decisions for people's health and for society at large. And I wanted people to understand the 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 short deadlines that we worked under the pressures of the system it, it, which keeps you really it, it really incapable of understanding complex topics and it's very difficult even for the most well-meaning reporter to get an accurate take and then give that accurate take to viewers when you're in mainstream corporate television news so i started talking about all the problems with with how the news is made and that led me to censorship and free speech and and interviewing people who have dissenting views on established narratives. So it wasn't too long after I started doing that work that my bosses at the Washington Department of Natural Resources told me to cease and desist on those videos if I wanted to maintain my employment. Um, you know, that is just so appalling to me that you're 
you were covering censorship and they were censoring you from covering censorship. <laughs> well, they wanted to, right. And, and I found that really ironic. That was one of the several reasons why I said I was not going to comply because yeah. that's exactly what I was trying to push back against. And that's why I decided to talk about it publicly, just so that people understand the pressures to remain silent when you're somebody like me who in most cases is just bringing people on her podcast who have different ideas about things to understand how they're thinking through this. Often mainstream news stereotypes, whether they're doing it on purpose or not, you get this stereotype of this person thinks this way, they vote this way, they act this way, and they're overly simplified. And I was finding that they were very smart uh, doctors and scientists with a variety of opinions that I had not heard on CNN or Fox or MSNBC. And so I wanted to hear what they had to say. And so to, to be told that I can't even listen to other ideas, that's a whole other level of censorship because I, I, it was communicated to me very clearly that it wasn't really just me. It was the people I was associating with that were very problematic to my bosses. Um, I, I mean, I'm almost done speechless by this, that this could happen in the United States of America. And so you, you said no, right? You said, no, I'm right. going to keep doing it. And, and they fired you? Yes. I said I was happy to comply with their request that I maintain my work during my personal time and with my personal gear, as that had always been my practice. But I was not willing to comply with censoring the nature of the content itself. Now, the reason why this is problematic for them is because the Washington Department of Natural Resources has a vaccine mandate. Staff were required to be vaccinated by October 18th. There's no allowance for natural immunity or for testing. And they said that my videos were undermining that policy. So, you know, all the way back to the beginning of the government, becoming mandators or making any sort of policy regarding vaccination, they realized it's in the 1984 Federal Register that if they let anything critical out about vaccines, they would not get compliance. And, and it has turned into this monster of censorship around anything critical of vaccines. You cannot be critical, you can't, it doesn't matter. And in fact, the 1984 register um, entry says, no matter how, um, what I, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's like, no matter how factual, it can't get out there. I mean, and this is just absurd, you know, and it's, of course, it's built it up and built up with, with COVID. Um, and I, are you gonna, are you gonna sue them? <laughs> Everyone keeps asking me that. <laughs> My answer right now is I'm considering my options uh, and that's about all I can say, but yeah. I, 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 I think it's important. People have asked me and I think it's important to understand that it's obviously different when you work for a government agency versus what I did before. When I was in corporate news, I'd sign a contract that I was on brand for my corporate news station, no matter what I was doing, where I was. And that was in the contract and I had to abide by that. 
I never signed a contract like that. I didn't say I was going to be on brand for the government in my personal time, that I wasn't allowed to have opinions or thoughts or associate with people with opinions and thoughts that weren't on brand for the Department of Natural Resources. I was never told that there were specific topics I was not allowed to talk about at risk of losing my job. So these were not these were not terms of service that were communicated to me when I started. And frankly, uh, when we got to this point, this last couple of weeks where we're kind of going back and forth and I was explaining why I believed I had a first amendment right to continue. I explained to them also that I believe that the very basis of science is robust discussion, which is what Mm -hmm. I allow for in Mm -hmm. my interviews. And as a science-based agency that actually my podcast aligns perfectly with their policy. Right. So when you have this very grounded, common sense discussion you attempt to have, what what are you getting back? Are you are were they engaging at all or just saying, sorry, but we cannot budge? I mean, was there an understanding that what they're doing is absurd? Was there any inkling that there was critical thinking going on or an inkling that they were allowed to even consider? The the two points that they made were that I'm on the communication staff, and so I have a unique position to communicate the policy of DNR, and even in my off, off time, that was their argument, we can't have a communication staff member who's communicating, whether it's directly or indirectly, by allowing someone else to communicate. Uh, around them, I guess, <laughs> or talking to them that, you know, that is, that is what they said was undermining their policy. Um, and, uh, the other thing was that they were concerned, um, that it's it, Washington, or I guess my employment specifically was at will. That's what they call it at will employment. And so they said they didn't have to even give me a reason, but they did give me a reason. Uh, but they, but apparently, I don't know if they think at will just means you can fire somebody for whatever you want, even in violation of the Constitution of the United States of America. My <laughs> understanding of at will is that you can fire someone and not tell them what it's about. But but if they find out that the way the reason you fired them violates the law, that that doesn't mean that doesn't mean it's just okay because it's at will. My understanding is that at will means we don't have to tell you why we're firing you. Though in this case, I have emails that show exactly what they fired me for. And they said in the final response to my final email that it was inappropriate use of social media. Wow. So that's incredible that they actually stated that inappropriate use of social media. It was on your private time. You did nothing other than report facts. And they just put they just put themselves in legal liability by making such a statement. Now they have to defend it. Now they have to defend it. It's your guess is as good as mine as to why they put it in writing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what, it's there. It's public record. Anybody could go request it if they'd like to see it. And what surprises me is the lengths now that the uh, the people within these organizations that respond to or uh, have uh, responsibilities to politicians, uh, how they thought this was a good idea. Uh, Usually what you would want to do if you were smart is basically allow people to speak, allow people to share those ideas and look like you're being impartial. But in this case, it's the most ham-fisted, and I have to say it, dull-witted approach to handling this sort of thing that I've I've seen so far. And most people don't realize or have the, the ability either to lie convincingly 
to the to the public as well as to the people that work for them. And I think that's a good thing, actually. Well, for those of us who you know entered this with eyes wide open, um, but I, I think. I don't know, you know, you go back a couple of years and no matter what you feel about Trump, when Twitter deplatformed a seated president, I believe it made all of the people who wanted to control whatever they wanted to control very cocky, very self-assured and, and feeling like, you know, there's nothing they can't do that, you know, that you can fight against. And um, yeah, and it really is a shame. now. Allison, at your um, at your former work now, had you on anything else? Let's say, let's say you were interviewing scientists about fire control, about you know ways to protect forests in the future, or to you know any any of that sort of science. If you were to do something on that, do you, would it be subject to the same? scrutiny do you think if if you were interviewing people who had an opposing view mm. to how um they were handling forest fires i think it's a great question i don't know but i i that did enter my mind when i was considering not that there really was a choice i i never was considering that i was going to choose to comply i knew immediately that there was no way that i was going to allow myself to be censored on this topic but that was something I was thinking about was like, where, where does it end? Is the next thing, like you said, uh, wildfire or climate change or any other number of topics, why this particular one? I, I don't really know uh, wh what would have happened in that case. The, the, the fact that it actually happened after YouTube suspended me for a video that I did with Dr. Aaron Cariotti, who is the medical ethics director at the University of California, Irvine, and was suing the University of California over their mandate because he is citing his natural immunity. They called that medical misinformation. I go to Twitter, kick up dust like you have to, to get YouTube's attention. YouTube sees it, gets hundreds of retweets. They apologize. They restore the video. They let me back into my channel. And it was a couple days after that, that I got the phone call. So I don't know what it was that prompted it. I don't know if there were other videos back in time that they would have been concerned about and they just weren't paying attention. But I think it's a fair question to ask when you comply with censorship on, on one topic, you have you opened the door for yourself to be censored in the future? And, and mm -hmm. where does that end? And where does, yeah, exactly. And in a, in a republic, in a free society, to not be able to voice, even if you work for the for the government, to not be able to voice an opposing opinion in a very civil way, as you have always done with your interviews and your experts and everything. I mean, that's like living in, you know, the Soviet Union or something. You can't, you have to, it's just, it's like the, you cannot talk against the consensus right now. Well, you can, but at great cost. And great and cost. I <laughs> right. And so that's why I, I I knew that I also just had to stand firm on this one because I have had people on my podcast who have taken really serious risks with their lives and their livelihood to stand up for what they believe is right and in honor of them and and really in hopes that 
someday people will be able to do this and not lose their job and not suffer these kinds of consequences. That's the hope that the more of us who stand firm and refuse to comply with this, that we pave the way for it to not even have to be an issue five, 10 years from now, you know, that's my hope. Um, but big picture, that's, that's really as much as uncomfortable as this is, because I don't really like being in the story. This is not necessarily fun for me. I like interviewing people and talking to people about it. Uh, but I'm doing it because I think it's important for people to see that it it creeps closer and closer to the mainstream. Um, I have two Emmys. I have an Associated Press Award. I have a Society of Professional Journalists Award. I was a leader in my newsroom. The Washington Department of Natural Resources told me that this had nothing to do with my job there, that I was an excellent employee and had exceeded expectations, that this was all about what I was doing on my social media platform. And not again, to just make, I really want to make sure I hammer this home because I think it's important. Not even like really what I was saying, not, not, I'm not sure they loved everything that I said, but it wasn't even just me. It was really the people I was associating with that were problematic. And that's really dangerous for, for us to submit to not even allowing ourselves to learn from people who are different, who have different ideas when it comes to science and journalism, how can you possibly participate in that process? If you don't listen to people who have different ideas, who are experts in their field. And those two videos that were cited specifically that were of concern because I asked, well, what what videos are are so problematic? They did say that everything they saw uh, was uh, inappropriate, but (laughs) they did (laughs) two videos they named specifically were Dr. Cariotti. Again, this is a medical ethics director at a major institution. And then uh, Dr. Molly James, who was a COVID ICU doctor in New York. She quit over vaccine mandates. And she has she has earned her right at the table to talk about her experience as a COVID doctor in ICUs. Dr. Cariotti has earned his right to talk about the bioethics, the medical ethics of what's going on right now. And if we're not able to associate with people like that, who can we talk to anymore? Right. No, I, yeah, exactly. And I, I so admire you, Alice. And I always have for your, you know, for this big move you did away from, you know, TV news and moving into an Airstream, living there with a little baby. (laughs) And, um, you know, and now to really stand in your truth and, and take it. And one of my first thoughts was, and this is very selfish of me, Allison, my very first thought was, oh, good, she's going to be free for more hours of the day. If I want her <laughs> to come on the show, yeah. I won't have to wait to um, Anytime. work. Yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Anytime. And I just yeah. wanted to bring up an important point when they mentioned that, you know, they didn't approve or they, they found some of your videos problematic. What if you had actually been discussing uh, an article of faith about your religious beliefs? Would that have been grounds? I don't know, or, or religious uh, concerns over the this top, this specific topic. Right. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, all I can, all I can tell you is that what was communicated specifically was just that anything and not limited to, you know, the the email read specifically uh, anything, but not limited to, you know, COVID safety, masks, mask requirements, vaccine requirements. And, but they left it open as you're asking about, they left it open to, but like, it's not just limited to this. It could be lots of things, you know, preceding and, and coming after this. Um, I, I just, I just don't know where it ends. And again, that that's why it, it's funny because you, you kind of can pick up on how people think about free speech when you mention right. 
COVID, right? Because because some people go, they're just they're just willing to listen to what you have to say, and other people go, but what were you saying? Because they want to know like just how far did you take it? And I don't know if it's a personality thing. I'm just a rebel. I always have been. I don't know, but I don't ask that. I don't. I, I've I've had people could say before they'll be willing to come on my channel. Like, are you a this? You know, are you an anti-vaxer? Are you a that? And I don't like. I really don't like answering questions like that because it makes it makes you have to sign up for like are you in the safe zone? That's what I feel like people are saying. And when it comes to speech, I am a radical free speech advocate. I believe that the first amendment protects speech, especially if you're a government employee. And so, uh, I don't, I don't, when people ask me, you know, well, what were they saying exactly? It's like, the First Amendment protects speech. You know, there are obviously there are there are restrictions on illegal activity and certain other things. But otherwise, I don't ask people, well, but how far did you really take it? Because if you if you think that way, eventually you're going to allow the First Amendment to be encroached upon. And I think it's exactly. really important right now that we don't look at it and say, did uh, how far did you go? Like, were, did you yeah. violate my team's terms of service? Because I think we often look at speech that way, right? Like, did you say something outside the lines of our team sport? And I think it's important right now that we don't draw those lines, that we protect speech, even for the people with whom we disagree, or we think are just too out there. You know, that guy yeah. that goes to sleep with the tinfoil blanket, even him, like we need to protect speech for that person. Wait, you know what? There's nothing wrong with tinfoil blankets, just FYI. Yeah, I mean, if you that's what I'm saying, I'm protecting you. If you want that too, go for it. But, but like again, when I was bringing up the people who've asked questions about a lot of those questions, like because we talked about, I I don't really give my opinion a whole lot in 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 my podcast. I'm just listening to people. So when they're asking me questions about, are you a this or are you a that, just based on the people that I'm willing to talk to. See, that's that's how that's how control mechanisms work. It's it's like a divide and conquer thing. I'm not going to talk to you unless you're this. I won't talk to you if you're that. And then we, we keep going further and further away from each other. We don't understand the nuances and variety of whatever topic it is we're talking about. And that's purposeful to keep us from looking side-eye at someone who may have a very valid point. But as, as soon as we label them one thing or another, and then we say, because you're this, you don't have the right to speak. That That's how this stuff continues to perpetuate itself into really dangerous uh, spheres. Yeah, absolutely on point. I absolutely agree. And I know you have to fly here in just a, a couple of minutes, Allison. So I want you to tell people where they can find you, where they can donate to keep you on air and keep you speaking and interviewing. So tell us where we can find you. I appreciate it. Well, <laughs> probably the easiest place to find all of the links to my platforms is to go to youtube.com slash Allison Morrow for as long as I'm still there. I'm still there right now. Um, so that's the easiest place. If you're just on YouTube, you want to look up youtube.com Allison slash Allison Morrow, Allison one L Morrow two R's, but to be safe, you should also go to rockfin.com slash Allison Morrow. That's R O K F I N.com slash Allison Morrow or alisonmorrow.locals.com. That's another kind of like Facebook meets YouTube platform. I do a lot of work there that's not necessarily making it on YouTube where you can post story ideas for me. I have editorial board meetings on Saturdays. You can be on my editorial board. I'm also on Patreon. I have a PayPal and all that good stuff. I haven't set up a fund for this specifically because I'm, you know, Bernadette, you guys, it's, it's interesting because when you go through something like this, it's like you you need to you need to stay the course on the content and everything right because 
this is my job now. Like I have, now I have to keep this going. I can't quit. Right. It's like, right. I, I gotta go. Uh, but at the same time, you're dealing with all the personal stuff. Like, what are you going to do for healthcare? Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do for your budget? You, you have all this, this other stuff that you have to figure out that is all of a sudden become a stressor. And so it's just, there's just so much going on. I'm like, I have to do this. I have to set this up. I have to set that up. But I think the easiest place would be to you know, go to youtube.com slash Allison Morrow or go to Rockfin or locals. You'll find me there somehow. I'm on all the, the other platforms, Facebook, Instagram, but I hate, I, and Twitter, I hate driving people there too, because you know, I, you know how it is on those platforms. Who knows if you're going to be there forever. I do. Yeah. And, and if anybody's watching or listening later on, I will have a post on our, um, an inform life radio tab, um, where you find this show where I talk about it, I will put all the links of where you can find Allison. So that'll be up, um, by tomorrow morning, I hope. Um, I'm, I'm not quite used to this three hours later um, in the day for everything. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I'm getting used to it. So Allison, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for being brave and standing in your truth. And I look forward to watching more great investigative journalism and interviews that you provide. I appreciate you all. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks. So you get, I'll let you go ahead and then sign off there anytime you need okay. to, Allison, and I'll continue on here with Javier. So, um, yeah, so we're going to be talking um, for the next half hour about a very important subject um, having to do with children in the COVID shots. And um, Javier has, you know, it's just been in the past couple of days that it's been in the news, what's been going on with the FDA. And there's a series of steps that will happen. So I'm going to yes. turn it over to you um, to introduce our listeners, viewers to what's going on here. All right. Thank you. And one of the things I'd like to do is, um, and we'll see, Bernadette, you let me know if I'm breaking any copyright laws uh, with this. But one of the first things I'd like to show is... Um, uh, basically, I, I found this to be a very succinct message of what went on. Uh, so it'll give a, give a nice introduction uh, to the whole uh, um, uh, FDA committee overview. But this is just going to take about three minutes to, to view. So we're not we're not hearing the sound. When you click share, did you make sure you click the button box that said share um, audio? So we'll go ahead and um, see if you can get that playing. He's pulling up this uh, the Jimmy Dore show. Let's see if we can get it going here. So I've I do have that. It's uh, I I'm unmuted. Let me just check. Okay. Speaker famous system. When you hit share screen, you'll need to look for the box in the left-hand corner um, of the pop-up box that says share sound. Sometimes it doesn't work if you're streaming. Um, ah, there we go. Found it. Okay. We're giving it a there go. Thanks go. for hanging in there, listeners. We'll get it. <laughs> so this idea that we have to vaccinate children to protect the elderly is crazy. That's a crazy idea. Uh, if you want to protect the elderly, get the elderly vaccinated because they're going to get it anyway. Everyone's going to get COVID. And that's what people need to get. So that should take away people's fear of the unvaccinated. Uh, and it should make them rethink this. Uh, because guess what? Here is from the FDA committee has approved the Pfizer vaccine emergency use emergency use authorization. 
So that means there's been no long-term studies on this at all. And for kids 5 to 11, in making this decision, the FDA conceded it does not know the long-term risks to these kids. Uh, Even worse, listen to this. This is from a voting member on the FDA panel. And keep in mind that the head of the vaccine department at the FDA just resigned over the politicization and the push for booster vaccines by the Biden administration. Just resigned at the FDA. So now they got rid of the problem. Just think of that's how I look at it. They got rid of that one squeaky wheel and now they replaced them with an unsqueaky wheel. So listen to what this person says, who's a voting member on the FDA. But we're never going to learn. Here we go. But we're never going to learn about how safe the vaccine is unless we start giving it. Um, That's just the way it goes. So I'm going to play that again so you can hear what he said. And I think what choice me here is that it's a very sort of personal choice. If I had a child who had who was a transplant recipient, I would really want to be able to use a vaccine like this. And there are certainly kids who probably should be vaccinated. The question of how broadly to use it, though, I think is a substantial one. Um, and I know it's not our question, but I, I, I and I know we're kind of punting that uh, to uh, ACIP. Um, but I, I, I do think that it's a relatively close call. And as Dr. Levy just said, as Dr. Gann said, it really is going to be a question of what the prevailing conditions are. But we're never going to learn about how safe the vaccine is unless we start giving it. Yeah. I, 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 I'm just, I'm like stunned. Okay, so here's how it goes. So you get, the majority of Americans do not watch the Verbeck, the, the FDA's vaccine and related biological biological advisory committee meetings. That was the mm-hmm. Verbeck meeting, right? They have no idea. They have no, they haven't heard the public commenters, the expert opinions, the PhDs and the MDs who called in and said, don't do this. This is absurd. The risk of these vaccines is far higher than the risk of COVID to children. This, you know, and all of this information, the American public doesn't hear that. They don't know nope. that this guy on the FDA voting board just said, we won't know unless we use American kids as guinea pigs, how safe they are. What's going to happen is it's going to be going from there to the CDC's advisory committee on immunization practices next week, November 3rd. They will rubber stamp it and say, yeah, we recommend it. And then the marketing departments will go to work overtime. And I'm not talking Pfizer marketing. I'm talking taxpayer funded health, um, CDC, FDA, every state health department agencies, taxpayer funded marketing departments will go to work. Oh, they've already started. Oh, they have. Yeah. Your kids need this vaccine. You got to get it. It's been deemed safe and effective for children. It's safe and effective for children. It's safe and effective for children over and over. That's what they, they won't know any of this. They won't know their children are being used as guinea pigs. It's so horrific. I just... Can you tell I'm upset? Yeah. Just a little bit. But wait, (laughs) there's more. There is more. There is more. Just so that people are aware of, one of the things that uh, was uh, uh, brought to to bear uh, on this particular uh, VARPAC committee meeting was the following. So uh, I'm going to share the screen one more time. 
you know, and as you do that, I like, um, uh, you were talking about the fact that, or, and he mentioned the, the one you did earlier that we're giving vaccines to children to shield adults. Since when is it ethical or moral to use children as human shields? And I'm gonna have you play that. I wanna expand on that topic. So this is uh, Dr. Peter Marks. He's one of the FDA presenters. He was the one presiding over the, uh, uh, this particular section of the meeting. And this is what he had to say. Open public hearing followed by discussion of the application and a vote on this topic. Before we get started, I want to acknowledge the fact that there are strong feelings that have clearly been expressed by members of the public, both for and against the use of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine under emergency use authorization for this age group of five to 11-year-old children. To be clear, today's discussion is going to be about the scientific data that are presented, and it's not about vaccine mandates, which are left to other entities outside of FDA. I ask that we so just to be clear, he said that feelings run high on both sides. Uh, one thing I do have to share now is uh, a very important uh, point. Uh, let me stop the share here so I can actually get to the next one. Okay. Uh, when we get down to the actual uh, feelings that were shared, yeah. let me point, let me point the, uh, the, the listeners and the viewers uh, to this next part. This is the actual... Uh, site uh the that federal is register where on, people file comments right that's right under yeah. regulations.gov all comments are visible or should be visible right over here and i think you can see my cursor comments wow. received 143,499 comments wow. that's unprecedented he, it's unprecedented they've never had this many public comments ever and here in the browse comments section, they could only post or they only posted 1.4 thousand. I can only access about 5,000 of them because I don't have the right software to pull the, uh, or the right program to actually pull down all the comments. Wow. 99% of all the comments that I reviewed in the 500 uh, that were there, all were saying, please do not approve yeah. this shot for five to 11 year olds. Yeah. So there is a, a, a very involved group of parents that are aware of what's going on, a lot of involved uh, officials and private pe private uh, citizens yeah. that have told the FDA not to do this, and seventeen to, seven to zero, one abstention approved. Yeah, it. It, it's horrific. But the you know the fact I'm I'm a Pollyanna. I'm always looking for the silver lining. Pre COVID. You would go, you know, you'd push out there to, you know, all of your medical freedom advocates, um, parents of vaccine injured people say, you know, the federal register is accepting comment on some proposed rule or something. And you might get a few thousand comments, you know, maybe in the tens of thousands would be just, exactly. uh, just crazy to get that many. But usually it was a few hundred. Sometimes you get 50. Um, most people didn't, again, most people do not know that you can make public comment on rulemakings. They don't even know the rules are being put forward. We have exactly. got such a disengaged society from, but COVID has spotlighted a lot. People suddenly know, not all yet, it's still a tiny little fraction of the country that even know that this meeting took place and that they could have given public comment. 
and there's a public comment period. I think I missed it for the ACIP. Where um, or is it still open? Do you know? Um, you know, I think I think they cut it off about uh, five days before the actual committee meeting, so they could actually go through it and post it. So I don't okay. think it's open anymore. Yeah, uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's still there. So I do have the one of the best parts about the uh, FDA uh, uh, meetings is that people get to present. Yeah. And it can be from anyone. So I'd like to share a couple of presentations. Oh, oh I would love that. Yes, do. All right. One second. Okay. And then, you know, what, what we need to do, Javier, on the on the radio show where I describe it on our website, informedchoicewa.org, you find an informed life radio tab. When I describe this particular episode, let's get some links to the Federal Register and, and to the ACIP and to this Verbeck Committee so our listeners and viewers can begin to understand how they can get engaged and follow this nonsense and see where the reform needs to happen. Okay, what do you got here? And so I'll send you this. These are my uh, Informed Life Radio notes of today's show with all nice. the links to YouTube and the FDA as well as regulations.gov. Uh, uh, Fantastic. But let's just go with uh, here with uh, Stephen Kirsch, who did his presentation okay. the FDA. So enjoy. I'm Steve Kirsch, Executive Director of the COVID-19 Early Treatment Fund. I have no conflicts of interest. Slide two. Why are kids dropping like flies right after getting vaccinated? If they didn't die from the vaccine, then what killed these kids? Next slide. How can a healthy 16-year-old boy die in the middle of a Zoom math class? He was fine 20 minutes before he died. Next slide. The doctors found nothing. What did the CDC find? Next slide. Why did this 15-year-old die in his sleep just two days after getting vaccinated? Slide number six. How did you miss all of these safety signals? Slide number seven. If the vaccines are so safe, how come Taiwan officially admits that the vaccines kill more people than the virus? Slide eight. Do you find this recent UK headline troubling? Slide nine. How are Germany and Norway both able to determine causality in sample sizes of 100 or less, but the CDC can't determine causality in over 16,000 deaths it hasn't investigated? Slide 10. How come deaths in Israel go up when vaccinations go up and go down when vaccinations go down? Slide 11. What is the VAERS underreporting factor? How can you do a risk-benefit analysis if you don't know the U.S.? This is extremely, extremely important. You've been assuming it's been one. It is not one. Slide 12. Using a URF of 41, which is calculated using a CC methodology, we find over 300,000 excess deaths in bears. If the vaccine didn't kill these kids, these people, then what did? Slide number 13. Is there any stopping addition to these experiments? How many Americans have to die before you pull the plug? How many kids have to, have to die before you yell stop? Slide 14, why are there no autopsies for deaths after vaccination? Slide 15, why didn't the, why didn't the highly unusual cause of death in these kids raise any red flags in the CDC 12 to 17 safety study? They, they didn't even comment. They said, just move on, nothing to see here. Slide 16, how many months do troponin levels stay elevated after vaccination? Slide 17. Of the over nearly 140,000 comments have been posted against, vac uh, against the vaccines in kids, I found only one comment uh, in favor. How many did you find? Slide 18. Did you ever read the cost paper? It says that five times uh, as likely to die from 
the vaccine as from COVID. And it's even worse if you're younger. Slide 19. Why was this paper removed over the objections of the editors? Slide 19. They found 19, or slide 20. They took 19 times the expected number of, of uh, myocarditis cases and a five-fold increase on dose two. Slide 22. Is this what you mean by slightly elevated risk? Um, and let's uh, skip uh, to slide 26. Uh, how can a kid who was in the Pfizer 15, 12 to 15 year old trial be paralyzed and not um, have that reported to the FDA? How can you approve a vaccine for under 12 when you haven't investigated this study? Let's skip to the uh, end here, slide number 30, which is the complete list of my questions are posted on trial site news today. Just search for Verbeck. There are too many unanswered questions for you to approve the vaccine for five to 11 year olds. Thank you. Yeah, I really like trial site news, um, trialsitenews.com, yes. excellent source of information you won't find elsewhere. And that went really fast. I'm glad we played it. And probably some listeners who didn't see the slides missed out on some, but I, I think overall yep. you understood what he was saying. The, the slides, the images were published peer-reviewed studies that one had Correct. been pulled back not i'm not sure it's fully retracted at this stage but we had jessica rose on the show and i've had peter mccullough on the show so yes that that showed the risk of myocarditis um was huge it was just massive almost off the chart compared to what was you know expected background rates basically correct yeah yeah, yeah. and and to to do this to children i you know it's so blatantly obvious if they didn't have capture of our legacy media, you know, where is CBS News? Where's 60 Minutes? Where where are the um, the core investigators who should be? You know, we can. This is such evidence that freedom cannot stand when the media is controlled, when they are not oh. allowed to say the truth. And I'm not saying that everybody in legacy media is intentionally controlled or intentionally like being paid. What we have is this system with a few people at the top that are pushing through the agenda messages and everybody else is just repeating it. They're just doing their job is, you know, and, and we have the way legacy media media works is and they've really cut back on the past decade on staff, on researchers, on fact check, fact, you know, let's not get into the whole fact checker kind of thing right now, but so something comes off a newswire and it looks like news, but it was a news release put out by the pharmaceutical industry or yes. somebody else with a very heavy vested interest and every single outlet will pick it up. It'll be published in the Seattle Times and the New York Times, and Los Angeles Times. It'll be on ABC, NBC, CBS, um, public radio. And nobody's betting and no it. No one mentions who paid for it. Yeah. yeah. No one mentions who paid for it. No one mentions who sponsored it. This is just, it's insanity. Now you did mention Dr. Jessica Rose. She mm -hmm. did that write that paper with uh, Peter McCullough regarding the uh, incidence rate using mm -hmm. the uh, the reporting. That paper was uh, wasn't uh, it wasn't um, uh, removed. It was it wasn't withdrawn. It was put on hold by the it wasn't by the editors. That's the other thing that we're learning. It wasn't by the editors. It was by the publishing company. You publishing companies have absolutely zero right to do that. The editors are the final word on what gets withdrawn or what gets pulled 
And most of the time they leave it up to the authors to pull or retract. This was not a retraction. This was a, a withdrawal. Now, speaking of Jessica Rose, I just have one more section to share and we'll, okay. we'll try that. Okay. There we are. He's pulling up the public comment. My name is Dr. Jessica Rose, and I'm a viral immunologist and computational biologist. I have no conflicts of interest. Note number one, emergency use authorization of biological agents requires the existence of an emergency and the non-existence of alternate treatments. There is no emergency, and COVID-19 is exceedingly treatable. Note number two, individuals with resolved COVID-19 infection are potentially pathogenically primed for subsequent TH2 immunopathology. If injected with a targeted immune stimulant in the form of a host-strong spike protein manufacturing system, this could trigger subsequent inflammation, immune complex formation, and overactivation of the complement system, leading to myocarditis and other immunopathologies that are, in fact, being prolifically reported to VAERS. VAERS reports must include prior COVID-19 infection status in order to make it possible to assess the potential relationship between immune-related pathologies, including myocarditis and the injections. Slide one. On the left is a bar plot from a recently accepted for publication peer-reviewed paper showing the absolute numbers of VAERS reports of myocarditis according to age groups. Myocarditis rates were significantly higher in youth aged 13 to 23. Within eight weeks of the COVID-19 rollout into 12 to 15-year-olds, 19 times the expected number of myocarditis cases were reported over background rates for this age group. In an act of censorship, this paper was temporarily removed and has now been killed without criticism of the work. Considering the relevance of the content of this paper to many, it seems not only strange, but irresponsible to censor this paper at this point in time. The paper is being relied upon by many for the information they're in, and you and the public at large deserve an opportunity to read it. Slide two. On the left is a bar plot showing myocarditis reports from the VAERS domestic data set according to age and dose. The data is skewed in a statistically significant way toward children. The reporting rate for boys aged 15 years is sixfold higher for the second dose, which makes it plausible that the products are causing the adverse events and subsequent reporting. On the right is a similar bar plot according to age and gender. Of the reports, 80% of the gender classification was male, and in general, 70% of all VAERS reports are made by females, so this statistic is particularly telling. What will happen in children aged 5 through 11? Slide 3. Tens of thousands of reports have been reported to VAERS for children aged 0 through 18. In this age group, 60 children have died. 23 of them were less than 2 years old. Of the metric codes listed, it is disturbing to note that products administered to patients of inappropriate age was filed 5,510 times in this age group. This means that two children were inappropriately injected, presumably by a trained medical professional, and subsequently died. Slide four. This is a table showing several examples of VAERS reports for children between the ages of 5 and 11 who died. They died within 0, 5, and an unknown number of days following the injection. The 11-year-old showed here was injected despite being too young. This is not feasance. I implore you all to empathetically cast your vote using both your hearts and your minds. Thank you very much for this opportunity to speak. Wow, that was amazing. I think, you know, some of the science that she ran through was pretty complex. Can you unpack yes. that a little bit for us? What she did is she and Peter... Three minutes. <laughs> all right, no worries. Here we go. So. Basically, simply put, she used what was available at the CDC VAERS data, broke it down by age, and basically just looked for myocarditis and pericarditis, and then did an analysis to see 
which genders were, were there, and to split them up even more regarding age groups. What she found was that children, there was a lot more children reporting myocarditis and pericarditis. And given the fact that VAERS is an underreporting um, tool for mm -hmm. adverse events for vaccines, uh, that should be a bigger warning that this is definitely skewed at, uh, that, that the vaccines definitely skew toward younger people. So the idea that giving this to five and 11 year olds is gonna pr protect them from, from COVID uh, and not have adverse events is really uh, lying to parents at the very get-go. And the fact that not once did the FDA during the committee meeting refer or look at fairs or the people that were presenting wow. Pfizer, all those, they never referred to theirs. They never took the time to do it. And they keep on saying, well, there's no causation. There's no link. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. He's already been looking at that. You can't, you can't hide behind that anymore. No. Well, the CDC has admitted that the vaccine do cause myocarditis. They might, I think they're arguing about numbers, but they, they've admitted that there is a causal relationship. Uh, yeah, I, you're you're in your tears, and I'm I'm with you there, Javier. This yeah. is it's crime against humanity at, at a, our own government doing it to us. It's just I don't. How do we recover from this? But first of all, how do we stop it? We have to just keep getting out there. I just keep praying um, that people learn before they take the dive with their children. You just don't know how many children will be harmed before the whole thing comes um, tumbling down. Yeah, um, I've heard reports, just one, one thing before, I've heard reports that at least 75% of parents are not are seriously considering not giving this to their children. Okay. And I, I hope that, that that is a trend uh, nationally. Yeah. Uh, I don't want a tragedy to where parents have to experience the loss of a child or the a, a child that is injured for life because I this is not an I, I I told you so this is think think this through right you don't get a second chance no treatments exist children are not at risk you can address underlying health issues children are being used as human shields that is the surface story the underlying story is even worse Javier because children are being used as human shields financial shields to the vaccine industry because the vaccine industry wants to move their product under the from under the protection liability protection umbrella of the prep act to the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act and the only way they can stay liability free is if our government, our CDC, which actually isn't the government, but if they recommend it to children. So they're moving every step of the way to recommending it to children through the CDC in order to get liability protection for the billion trillion dollar cash cows that are killing people. And at that note, we're gonna leave it. We're gonna end this episode of An Informed Life Radio. Thank you for listening. Please spread the word. Um, you know, it's up to us. We have, we've got to save ourselves. We must save the children. Tune in next week. Um, this is an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. Be well. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. 
treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.